Well, good morning, church. If we haven't had the honor of meeting, my name is Megan Maserol, and I serve here as the director of Serve Ministries, but this morning it is my honor to come around God's word with you today. And the scriptures that we are going to be in today are in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn there with me. If not, the scriptures are going to be on the screen behind me. So we are in James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Let's pray. Well, God, we are grateful and thankful for the gift of today. Because, God, each day that you give us is an opportunity for us to give you glory with our lives. And, God, I pray that we would see each day as so. And, and God, in the, in the quiet and the stillness of this space together, I want to ask that any of us that came in today and are carrying something that we were never meant to carry, or maybe distractions that could easily hinder our worship, God, I pray that you would, you would remove those. God, would you clear our hearts and our minds so that our spirit is ready to receive whatever it is that you have for us this morning. God, we love you. And we trust you to have your way in us. And we give you this time. And we pray this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I can't really remember a time in my life when I wasn't future-oriented. It, it's just an innate part of my personality to always be thinking about what could be coming next and how I might best plan and prepare for that potential reality. It must be the, the dreamer, planner, and recovering perfectionist in me. And so when it came time for college, I operated my life no differently. Because you see, I had my entire college experience mapped out. To the point where the three summers that I had in between my four years at school, done. 
planned out, don't even have to think about it. Summer one. I would go home. I would move back home to my hometown and take classes at community college, not only to save money, but to get further in my degree plan and make sure I was staying on track. I would also then work and save money so that during the next school year, I would not have to be as worried financially. Okay, year two. Summer two. I can maybe have a little more fun. I'll go on a mission trip. I'll work at a Christian summer camp. I'll do something for the Lord in summer two. But then it is back to the grind in summer three because I would have that internship with that company that then would offer me that job after I graduated my last year in school. It's a perfect plan. All I had to do was follow it. So a couple months into my freshman year at Texas A&M University, uh, I heard about a missions event that was being hosted as a precursor to a service that was hosted on Tuesday nights by Breakaway Ministries. And this missions event was a very, very cool setup. It almost was like a career fair model where you walked into this space and there was all of these different booths lined up around the room that had representatives of different organizations and mission opportunities that you could go and learn about to see if you wanted to partner with them during a summer. And I thought, this is great. I can get a jump start on summer too. I'm gonna go to this missions event and I'm gonna collect all of the pamphlets, anything that they have written down that I can gather, I will take them back, I will go research and I will study and I will figure out what I'm gonna do in two years. And listen, I can tell as I scan the room in here, who are my fellow planners in this space and who are not? But that's neither here nor there. Anyways, so I show up at this missions event and I am working the room, okay? I am going to all of these booths and I'm meeting all of these people. I'm grabbing pamphlets and I am so ecstatic. And then I stumble upon a booth called Global Journey. And I approach the booth and I start talking to this gentleman who had gone on the trip just the summer before and was coming back this next summer to lead a trip. And, and to be quite honest, I don't really remember a whole lot of what he actually said because I was so overwhelmed by how palpably God was speaking to me in this moment. I just kept hearing over and over and over again, Megan, this is what I have for you this summer. Megan, this is what I have for you this summer. And, and I walked away from the conversation a bit stunned and dumbfounded, really, and I'm walking into the service at Breakaway, still marinating on what had just occurred and every song that was sung that night. And the message that was spoken at Breakaway only continued to affirm and confirm what God was asking of me. 
And so I am walking, after this service is over, I'm walking back across campus to my dorm room, and I call my mom. And she answers, and I said, hey, mom, change of plans. (laughs) I think God has something different in store for me this summer. Because I knew that if God was working this hard to get my attention with his ways and his plans, I probably should do it. And, and I knew that if I chose anything other than what he wanted, then I was probably believing that my plans and my ways and what I thought were better and best. I was believing that my plans were sufficient and should be left unchanged. And to be quite honest, if if I were to continue on in that story, it only got more obnoxiously clear that that is what God wanted me to do that summer. Spoiler alert, I did do what he asked of me and it changed the trajectory of my life. But I believe that that God had to be so clear with me about what he wanted for me to even be willing or able to lay down my plans and pick up his. Because I'm pretty convinced that I have things well under control. And I don't think that I'm alone in that inclination to believe or think that I have total control over my life or that I should. My certainty and self-sufficiency often inhibits my surrender. There's a poem called Invictus, and it was written by William Ernest Henley in 1875, and there's a line at the end of the poem that says, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And while that is an enriching sentiment about the desire of the human experience, I believe that only further aids in endorsing a narrative that we were never created to live by. Or could live by, really. And in our text today in the book of James, it is our powerful reminder and our much-needed antidote to combat this temptation of self-reliant operation. And you see, we have, we've been in the book of James for several weeks now. And you may have picked up by the scriptures that we have gone over and the series title being called Do Something, that the book of James is a very practical letter. James, Jesus' half-brother, wrote this letter originally to the Messianic Jews that were living outside of Israel. And And this short but powerful book is like this concise representation of all of James's wisdom. And something that I I find fascinating and just kind of a a fun fact about this 
book is that James, rather than taking the framework of like, say, our brother Paul, who Paul in most of his writings is writing to a certain body of believers and he is addressing their problems both corporately and theologically. James is, is writing this letter in a way of speaking to principles that he holds dearly and is challenging the heart of any and all Jesus followers who would read it. And I have to think that's probably why, for myself and conversations that I've had with many of you, why this book and these scriptures have seemed so resonant for us. Because because this letter was written to address areas that should be of grave importance to any Christ follower. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. How many of us have plans for our life? Yeah, 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 we do, we do. Um, From the biggest dreams and aspirations and business ventures and five-year plans to even the more mundane plans of like when your next grocery run is, okay? Of course, of course we all have plans. All of our lives run to some extent with some rhythmic expectation of when we will do this and when we will do that. So, so what is James really speaking to here then? What is he really asking us to consider and ponder and reflect on? Making plans is not inherently wrong. But making plans without the acknowledgement of our fragility is a lack of humility. There is wisdom in seeking to work hard as unto the Lord and to be a good steward of our time, our resources, and our talents. But if if all of this occurs without the recognition of our timed humanity, then we're fooling ourselves because we are but a mist. The psalmist in Psalm 39.5 mirrors a similar statement, a similar sentiment for us by saying, you have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Do you know how long a handbreadth is? It's four inches. That measurement was meant to represent the span of your palm. So the psalmist is is equating the span of our lives to the span of our palms. 
That's not much, folks. That's not much time. And in this time that we have been given is a precious gift. And James knows that and is imploring us to see our lives with this kind of urgency and humility. Not as a, not as a scare tactic for how fast life goes, but as a genuine reminder that while this life is but a vapor, we can make it count. We can make it count. And how do we do that? How do we live a life that is purposefully piloted by the Lord? Well, thankfully, our good brother James here does not leave us to our own devices to try to figure out what we are to do. Picking back up in the scripture in verse 15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone, then, who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. There is a witnessed reverence in relinquishing our lives to the Lord. And there is a felt freedom in the framing of our faces at his feet. Friends, very respectfully, who do we think we are when we say as believers that we will carry on about our lives, make our money, make our choices, make our plans, buy this home, marry that person, do this, do that, all operating in our lives in a life that was all a gift by the Lord and yet have zero consideration for the giver of that life. Living a life that we say as believers is surrendered to Christ, but yet has no evidence of submission in our plans? Friends, this is not only arrogance. This is hypocrisy. We exist in a blatant double standard when we sing lyrics like, I surrender all, and then live like I surrender some. James concludes this section of scripture in his letter by affirming for us that if we know better, we must do better. that we can't even blame our arrogance then on ignorance. 
And friends, if we, if we say we know and believe that God is good and he is worthy of giving all of our honor and praise and glory, then to not do so is a sin. To be made aware by God's grace of what is good, which is a life led by him, and then to not be surrendered to his leading is disobedience. Heavy. I know. James was not messing around in, in these few verses here for us today. And that heaviness sits and weighs on us because I think we know as believers how tough this really is. To live a life where I am not controlling or steering the reins in totality. Why is that? Why is this so difficult? I think it's because most of us just can't stop worrying. Worry is the enemy of surrender. Worry is the enemy of surrender. Most of us can't live like the Lord is in control of our lives because we're worried he isn't. And, and, and we can't say things like, if the Lord wills, I will do this or do that. Because somewhere deep in our spirit, we don't trust that he has our best interest at heart. And why would you trust someone you don't think is good? And, and wants good for you. Because maybe we're scared we are running on different working definitions of good. Because God being for you and desiring good, and not only good, the best for you, and leading you into a life that is best and good for you and gives him glory, may look different than a life that you, than you want. It might look different than the expectations of when you thought this or that would happen or should or shouldn't happen. I would love to be married right now. I would love to have more money in my bank account. Thank you, ministry. And I would love to have my family live closer so that I don't miss a lot of the moments that I end up missing. And all of those desires are good. They are not inherently wrong or bad in any way. And I'm not saying they are because they're not. 
But if my deepest ache as a believer in Christ is a life in full submission to him because he is good, then I have to believe that he is not withholding good from my life. I have to believe that I am exactly in the chapter of my story that I'm meant to be in, and he is working and moving in ways that I see and ways that I don't. So while I can plan and dream and everything in between, I can rest in the knowledge that while my life may be nothing how I would have ever written it, it's better than I could have ever imagined. Because each chapter of this story has brought me into a deeper understanding that God really is good, no matter what. Uh, earlier this week, I got to have lunch with an old boss of mine that really is more like family than anything else. And I admire and respect this man so much for so many reasons, but never more than watching him walk through the diagnosis of stage four prostate cancer. And he shared with me that after that diagnosis, his perspective on these very verses that we are coming around together today, that his perspective was absolutely changed. He said to me, he said, Megan, you start living like you have been created with a God-given purpose when you realize you really are running out of time to fulfill it. And I won't live any other way now. And that's my desire for us too. That we would taste and see that the Lord is good that his ways really are higher and better than ours. And that while we make plans, the Lord directs our steps. And that we have a God that has a, created each of us with a purpose that he intends to see lived through each one of us. And so friends, each week of this series, we have been challenged with, with a task or a reflection each week. And so this week, I want to invite us today and all through this week in a simple prayer to the Lord. Ask God, God, where has my arrogance kept me from obedience? Where has my arrogance kept me from obedience in living a life convinced that you're worthy of leading? And my hope and prayer is as we ask this of the Lord, that we are met with gentle course correction. that leads us to know and believe that God really is good 
and his ways really are best. And that any change of plans, phone calls, can be made with the confidence that we are being guided by the captain of our souls. Let's pray. God, we believe that you are good. God, help our unbelief when life and circumstances and expectations and unmet expectations try to sway us to believe differently. God, help us believe and know that you are good. And God, that that whatever you desire for our lives, your leading really is best. Because we're being led into a life that would be a fragrant offering to you and would glorify you. And that's the ache of our heart. God, that as we have been given new life in you through Jesus, that this life would be poured out and surrendered to you. So God, as as we move and work and, and fill every space that each of us in this room were uniquely created to fill God, would you, would you show us this week what it would look like for us to lay down one more thing that we were never meant to hold? God, we love you and we trust you. And we ask you to move in ways that only you can. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.